Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 to begin. Galatians 4 verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, But in the past, when you did not know the Almighty, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not mighty ones. But now since you know the Almighty, or rather have become known by the Almighty, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. So today we come to a text that is used a lot in Christianity to teach that the festivals of Leviticus chapter 23 are bondage. Days like Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. The Torah-observant Messianic community, like ourselves, usually turns around in the face of that and they say something like this. No, this text in Galatians is speaking of the Gentiles turning back to pagan celebrations. That's what Paul calls bondage here. So the question that we're going to ask today is, what is the meaning of Galatians 4, 8 through 11, at least in Brother Matthew's mind? And I want to get right into it, beginning at verse 8. Galatians 4 verse 8 says, But in the past, when you did not know the Almighty, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not mighty ones. Now Paul's statement here has to be a reference to not the Israelite people that grew up in the covenant serving Yahweh. But it's a reference to the nations or the Gentiles, people who grew up outside of the covenant. The contrast is from verse 7 to verse 8. If you remember in the last lesson, verse 7 has the Gentiles as no longer slaves, but children, children of Yahweh, and heirs to the inheritance through what Yahweh has accomplished for them. In verse 8, Paul mentions their past when they did not know Yahweh or when they did not know God, as it says in our English Bibles. That could not be speaking of people who grew up in the covenant because in the past, they certainly would have known Yahweh if they grew up in covenant with Yahweh. They would have known Him. A Hebrew child born to Torah-observant parents would have learned the law from childhood. A heathen child, pagan child, would not have. They would have grown up with parents who served and worshipped other mighty ones. As a matter of fact, in ancient Rome and Greece, to be an atheist then meant that you didn't believe in the pantheon of their deities. It didn't mean then that you didn't believe in a creator, but you didn't believe in their particular deities. So the Romans and the Greeks were, were entrenched in the worship of, of many deities. And this is what Paul calls enslaved to things that by nature are not mighty ones. Paul is describing heathen mighty ones. Any mighty one that a person serves that is opposed or in contrast to Almighty Yahweh. This was the past life of the Gentiles who had now been forgiven of their sin and placed in a relationship with Yahweh through His Son, Yeshua. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, but now, but now since you know the Almighty, then he says, or rather have become known by the Almighty. Notice the change there. He tells them first, you know the Almighty, or rather 
I'd rather put that like this, the Almighty knows you, because that's what matters the most, right? If Yahweh knows you. He says, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? That word elemental forces there is the same Greek word back in verse 3 where it talks about the elements of the world, the stoicheion, the building blocks, the ABCs of learning. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? Verse 10, you observe special days, months, seasons, and years. Paul mentions their relationship with Yahweh by faith in verse 7. Then he says, in the past when you didn't know Yahweh, in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he mentions their desire to turn back to something weak. And then he says in verse 10 that they're observing certain times in relation to them turning back. You observe, the Holman says special, special is added by the translators. You observe days, months, times, and years. So when you look at this text in that light, do you see why the Torah-observant Messianic communities and congregations interpret these verses as turning back to pagan days or heathen days? I can see that clearly. Paul talks about a time they didn't know Yahweh. Now they know Him. Why do they want to turn back? I can see it clearly. It makes sense in light of verse 8 where it speaks of a time they did not know Yahweh. At that time when they didn't know Yahweh, how could heathen nations, heathen peoples be observing days like the Passover or the Sabbath day? How would they be keeping the new moons or the sabbatical year land rest? Well, they wouldn't. They didn't know Yahweh. They were heathens, serving those things that by nature are not mighty ones. So what's the problem here? Why is this a big deal? It seems pretty easy to interpret. And why would I not just leave my sermon right here and tell you that that's the proper way to understand the text? Well, I used to believe that that's what Paul meant. I no longer believe that. And that's because this should happen with all of us. When we study the Bible, if we're genuinely studying the Bible, we should not always end up believing the same things that we once thought. If all of your Bible study just confirms what you already think, believe, or practice, you're not really studying the Bible. Sometimes you'll read Bible verses and it'll challenge what you believe. It'll challenge what you think. Anybody ever been studying the Bible and you know you've read the, the book before, the particular chapter before, but you say, I've never read it in that light. I've never really seen it. I had a sister show me something the other day in the New Testament. And I had read that chapter probably hundreds of times. But I told her, I said, I've never really seen it until you brought it out in that particular light. And so Bible study leads to a sometimes redeveloping of how we view things or how we see things. So I see this text a little bit different than I used to. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm right. But I want to share with you why I don't think that Paul is talking about pagan times here. And the reason, the number one reason that I don't is because for the past two or three years, I've been studying the book of Galatians off and on. And the reason I don't think Paul is talking about pagan times is because of not just the context of verses 8 through 11, because that's usually where the Torah observant people go. They read verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 and say, see, I told you. But there's a larger context to these verses. And the larger context is the entire epistle of Paul to the Galatians. 
And up to this point in the book of Galatians, there's not even a hint, not even a smidgen of a hint of these particular Gentile believers trying to go back to paganism or heathenism. Not a hint. The epistle is not warning, it's not a warning from Paul towards them about that. The whole epistle is about a warning from Paul against the influencers or the Judaizers who were trying to persuade the Gentiles that they weren't really saved unless or until they submitted to certain Hebrew identity markers. We talked about circumcision a lot because Paul has talked about circumcision a lot. And in the influencers or the Judaizers' minds, people like Titus, Cornelius, other guys, they believed in the Messiah, but the Judaizers said, you really haven't been forgiven of your sins though until you get circumcised. And what they meant by circumcision was until you become a a Jew. Until you proselyte to change your identity from a heathen to a Hebrew. And so what that did is some of the Gentiles were submitting to the Judaizers' teaching. And therefore they were placing their faith in the act of proselytization rather than their faith in the Messiah. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with circumcision. I've taught several lessons on that going through Galatians. Circumcision is a commandment. I've circumcised all three of my sons on the eighth day as Scripture commanded. But if you read the book of Genesis, Father Abraham, the father of faith, was justified, forgiven, in a right standing with the Creator prior to the law of circumcision. You read in Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15 how that Yahweh called him from the Ur of Chaldees and then Abraham in Genesis 15 believed Yahweh's promise and it was counted to him for righteousness. He was called a friend of Elohim, a friend of the Almighty. And then later on, about 14 years later, after Abraham trusted in Yahweh, he was given the the seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had while he was uncircumcised. So Paul is saying, look, you guys... The Judaizers, the influencers that were coming in, you've placed circumcision up here as a prerequisite for salvation when it should be an act of obedience that happens after one comes to know, in this case, the Messiah. So the Judaizers were telling the Galatian Gentiles, you're not really forgiven of your sins until you do X, Y, and Z. They Remember, they'd already placed faith in, in the Messiah. They'd been baptized into the Messiah. Galatians 3 talks about this. Paul says they'd been clothed in Christ through faith and and water baptism. But the Judaizers still said, no, you're not really saved. You haven't really been forgiven until you do X, Y, and Z, until you become one of us. So this was a distortion. This was a twisting of the gospel. It was a gospel of salvation by becoming a Judahite through certain works of the law. And Paul says in chapter 1, it's really no gospel at all. Some of the Gentiles were falling for it and submitting to the requirements of the Judaizers. And when they fell for that particular doctrine, they were denying salvation is a gift given by grace and accepted through faith. And they were submitting to a doctrine that salvation happened because you became a proselyte to Judah. You see the difference? One is salvation by proselytization... The other is salvation by grace through faith. In light of the entire context of the epistle, it does not make any sense that the Gentiles who were being influenced by the Judaizers 
would be trying to go back and celebrate pagan days. Now, while I'm studying through this epistle, I'm reading a multitude of of books and listening to audio and commentaries and things like this because I like to get a multitude of counsel whenever I study a book. I don't just go in there and just study and think that I have the only right study methods in the history of Christian men. I respect men that have lived and died long before me, and I see what they have to say. But every time that I read a Torah-observant commentary, they force-fit pagan days into Galatians 4, 8 through 11. And this is how they do it, by only focusing on verses 8 through 11. And a lot of them get the text right when you get before that section and after that section. But I think because us Torah observant people have been programmed to think that that's what Galatians 4, 8 through 11 is talking about, it's like we've got blinders on like the horse We can't see any way but this way, and we can't see the other evidence on either side. It would make much more sense in the context of the entire epistle that the influencers and the Judaizers would be now persuading the Gentiles to observe and celebrate the feast days in Holy Scripture. And I believe that's what Paul is talking about in verse 10 when he says you observe days, months, times, and years. The festival times that are listed in Leviticus 23. Now, you immediately say, and you should, wait a minute, Brother Matthew, but you observe the festivals, don't you? So how can you say that Paul would call them weak and bankrupt as verse 9 calls them? Why do you want to turn back to something that's weak and bankrupt? The ABCs are the building blocks of the faith. And of course, most everybody in here knows I do observe the festivals. I've been observing them since the late 90s. And I am not about to stop observing the festivals. I believe they're holy times that Yahweh has given us. I'm here preaching right now on the Sabbath, for goodness sakes. I do not believe the holy days have been done away with. And I believe in keeping them all to the best of my ability. But, I observe them. I want you to listen carefully. I observe them as supplements to the Messiah and not substitutes for the Messiah. I keep the holy days because I have already obtained the forgiveness of sins. I do not keep them in order to receive the forgiveness of sins. There's a difference there. Now, I've explained that to a lot of people that think that I keep things like the holy days for the forgiveness of sins. And when I explain to them that I do not, they say, nope, 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 you do, you do, you do, you do. (laughs) And it gets a little frustrating sometimes. But they're supplements to the faith, not substitutes for the faith. Let me illustrate that. A supplement as opposed to a substitute. Suppose I tell you, suppose I tell you, Brother Jerry, that the number one way to maintain good health in your life, and suppose I tell all of you, number one way to maintain good health is by a healthy diet. Every day, a pattern. You eat healthy. You watch what you put inside. Because obviously what you put in is what you get out, right? So you have to watch your diet. And then I tell you on top of that, I say now, on top of a, a healthy diet, you can exercise for an hour a day. You can go on a walk for an hour a day. And you say, okay, all right, that sounds good. 
But then you decide that you're going to exercise or walk for an hour a day and you forget altogether about the healthy diet. You eat trash, but you say, I'm exercising and I'm walking. But you eat trash. What you have done, instead of using the exercise as a supplement to the healthy diet, you have used the exercise as a substitute for the healthy diet. Do you see the difference? You don't want to turn a supplement into a substitute. And I believe that this is what Paul was rebuking the Galatian Gentiles for. They were being influenced by the Judaizers in this way. The Judaizers were telling them that they must keep the feasts, days, seasons, times, and years, in order to become one of them, just like circumcision. They were holding the feast up in the same manner as they were holding physical circumcision up in, as prerequisites for salvation. Thus, when the Gentiles got circumcised as an, as an obedient act, let's say they got circumcised in obedience to the Judaizers, or they began to keep the holy days because of the pressure of the Judaizers, when they did that, they would begin believing that that is what forgave them of their sins, and that is what put them in a right standing with the Almighty. So suppose you come to this congregation, and you cry out to Yahweh, as the Scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of Yahweh shall be delivered. You cry out to Yahweh. You repent of your sins. You're baptized into the Messiah. You begin to learn. You've received forgiveness. Now suppose someone comes up to you after you've been here for a few Sabbaths and they see that you're not wearing tassels. Uh-oh. Don't let Brother Orlando see. <laughs> No, Brother Orlando would be nice and gentle to you for sure. But suppose that they see that. And instead of sharing the Scripture with you, just saying, hey, I'd like to share a Scripture with you in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. Instead of sharing a Scripture with you, they say something like this, oh, oh, you haven't made any tassels yet. You haven't begun wearing the tassels. Well, you know, if you really want to be forgiven of your sins... You really want to be in the right standing with Yahweh, then you need to you need to wear the tassels. You're really not his child until you begin to wear tassels. What they've done is they placed the tassels in the position of the Messiah. The tassels are beautiful. I wear tassels every day, even to work. Okay? The tassels are beautiful, but they're a supplement to faith in Yeshua. Not a substitute for faith in Yeshua. See what I'm saying? Same with circumcision, same with the holy days, same with any of these outward identity markers. Anybody, brothers and sisters, anybody can change their outside and not have the reality on the inside. If you don't believe that, study the Pharisees, the Parashim in the New Testament times. If you looked at them, they would appear to be the holiest people in all of Israel. The biggest phylacteries, the longest tassels, the long flowing robes, the big beard. They knew all the prayers. They said them all in Hebrew. And they looked down through their nose at everybody else. And when they prayed, they said, Oh man, I'm so glad I'm not like this other guy that's praying beside me. So they looked the part. But these are the people that Yeshua gave the most trash to. He was harsher to them than anybody else. Not to the prostitute woman that in repentance she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Not to the tax collectors that would come and be baptized of John. 
But to the Pharisees, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretenders, play actors. And they would look up and down like they were holy. But inside they were full of dead men's bones. They were tombs inside. So never let, you know, this does not mean that outward, outward obedience is wrong. There are things in Yahweh's law that we're supposed to do on the outside. You know, Yahweh's law teaches us to dress modestly. It teaches us to wear tassels. It teaches us men to not uh, mar the borders of our beard, Leviticus 19. It teaches a lot of these things that are on the outside, but I could do all of those outside things and still not have the reality on the inside. You understand what I'm saying? You get that? I hope you get that. If the holy days are observed properly, they're beautiful. But if they're used as the Judaizers were using them, then they are weak. And they're bankrupt. Why? Because they don't have the power to save you from your sins. They don't. The holy days didn't die for your sins. The holy days didn't live righteously according to every jot and tittle of the law of Yahweh. The holy days didn't resurrect from the dead on the third day. They didn't do any of that. That's what Yahweh, Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, Yahweh sent forth His Son. That's what that was done for. Greatest thing ever happened in history. So if I'm sitting out there under the sukkah of this coming Feast of Tabernacles, which I will be, I believe in building a sukkah for the feast, it's a commandment. But if I'm sitting out there and I'm thinking, well, I'm doing this so I can be forgiven for my sins. That is the absolute wrong way to observe the feast. If I'm observing the Sabbath day, and I'm thinking that the Sabbath day forgives me for my sins. That is the wrong way to observe the Sabbath. You observe the commandments as a loving response to the love and the grace that the Father has shown you. Not as something that you look at Him and you say, hey, I'm doing this down here. Let me get something. Let me put another uh, coin in the jar so I can get something out. Like Yahweh is a butler or something. I like to say He's not ever called Yahweh the butler. He's Yahweh the king. But people treat Him like a butler. Like you can just pull the rope and He's supposed to come to your beck and call and say, You rang? What can I do for you? Yahweh doesn't work for us. We work for Yahweh. And Yeshua told that parable that's been preached on several times here that when all is said and done and we've done everything that Yahweh tells us to do in the end, and He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What we respond is, I've only done what was required of me to do. I am an unlawful or undeserving, rather, servant. Let him that boasts not boast in his riches, boast in his strength, boast in his mind, but let him that boasts, the prophet Jeremiah said, boast in Yahweh, that he knows and understands Yahweh. Say, but the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, Brother Matthew. Well, yes, of course it is. I just preached on the fourth commandment not too long ago. But the commandments were not given to forgive you of your sin. They were given to, number one, show you that you are a sinner. And number two, they were given to teach you how to live. And you know, just as well as I do, that since you've come to a knowledge of the commandments, you've not been perfect in the commandments. You know that. I think a lot of people want to act like they have. But none of us have. We're continuing to grow in grace and knowledge. And we won't be made absolutely perfect until our glorified, resurrected, immortal state. 
Then finally, all of this time that Yahweh has been writing His law on our hearts and on our minds. Finally, when we're resurrected to immortality, the law will be completely and fully on our heart, on our mind and on our heart. And we won't need to teach each other anymore to know Yahweh. For we'll all know Him from the least to the greatest. And somebody can say to you, what does Exodus 23-27 say? And boom, you know it immediately. Why? Because it's on your heart. It's on your mind completely. But it's a process. Certain tools have a purpose. And you must use them for that purpose. When you attempt to use them for the wrong job, they are useless. It does not mean that that particular tool is useless altogether. But it is useless as it pertains to that job. If I want to measure the length, I need to cut a board... I get the tape measure. If I want to crank up my truck, I get my keys. I don't get the tape measure if I need to crank up the truck. Right, Jacob? If I tell Jacob I need to crank the truck up, and he brings me the tape measure, I look at him and say, what am I going to do with this? I can't crank the truck up with this, so I get the keys. Likewise, if I'm going to measure a board, if I'm going to cut a board 100 inches long, you don't bring me the car keys. You bring me the tape measure. i got to measure it. Tools must be used appropriately for them to be beneficial. This helps to see why Paul could speak this way about the holy days. Paul observed the holy days himself. He, he was. He was an observer of the Leviticus 23 appointed times. We see this through the book of Acts. But Paul knew that to place the holy days up here instead of the Messiah was detrimental. And this is why he says in verse 11, I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Because when Paul preached the gospel to the Galatian Gentiles, he didn't preach holy days, he didn't preach circumcision, he didn't preach tassels. Those were things that would come later in their life as they learned and grew in the faith. When Paul preached the gospel, he preached the good news. Galatians 4.4, In the fullness of time, Yahweh sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as children. That's what Paul preached. And he said, I spent so much time laboring in the gospel, and I'm fearful for you because I feel like I've wasted all my time. The good news is that the, through the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul had preached to them that the Messiah was the means by which they were justified and forgiven. And now the Judaizers had come along and said, No, nope, Paul is wrong. You're not really forgiven until you do this and until you do that. Paul was worried that all of his labor in the gospel was for naught. And he feared for them. And I think what he means in verse 11 is he feared for their salvation. He said, maybe you're really not forgiven. Maybe you really haven't come to know Yahweh. Or maybe Yahweh doesn't really know you if you're acting like this, if you're falling for the Judaizers' false gospel, maybe you're not really forgiven. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid for you. That's why Paul got so serious. You might ask or say, but Paul would then be speaking about the holy days in a way that the Old Testament never would. Yahweh and the prophets would never speak about the holy days like this, Brother Matthew, like you're saying that Paul spoke about them right here. They'd never be called weak and bankrupt. The question that I have in response to that is, is that so? Because I believe I can show you a passage as we turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. 
I can show you a passage that teaches that when we get things out of perspective, they become useless and worthless in the eyes of Yahweh. I'm going to read because I think that it doesn't really need a whole lot of commentary. I'm going to read beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me or listen carefully. The book of Isaiah says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for Yahweh has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children, they have abandoned Yahweh, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they have turned their backs on Him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt and the whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores not cleaned, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities burned with fire before your very eyes. Foreigners devour your fields, a desolation overthrown by foreigners. Daughter Zion is abandoned like a shelter in a vineyard, like a shack in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If Yahweh of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would resemble Gomorrah. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our mighty one, you people of Gomorrah. He's calling the Israelites here Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what that is, right? Back in Genesis. They were burned up, destroyed with fire and brimstone. The the number one transgression, abomination that they were guilty of was homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. Yahweh's calling the Israelites Sodom and Gomorrah here because of certain things that they're doing. Listen to this in verse 11. What are all your sacrifices to me? Asks Yahweh. He's not reprimanding them for bringing sacrifices to other mighty ones. He's reprimanding them for bringing sacrifices to Him. He says, what do your sacrifices that you bring to me, what do they mean? He said, I thought Yahweh commanded sacrifices. He did. Let's continue to read. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you? I thought we were supposed to appear before you, Yahweh, on the appointed times. He said, when you come, who's required this of you? Stop bringing useless offerings. I despise your incense, new moons, and Sabbaths, the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. The point of this passage here in verses 1-15 through is this, is that the people of Israel were involved in gross transgression And at the same time, they were attempting to come and present sacrifices and offerings to Yahweh and prayers to Yahweh on His appointed times. 
And Yahweh here says, I'm ignoring everything. As a matter of fact, He says, I hate your new moons. And He's not talking about, like a lot of people have said, and I've heard for the last 20 plus years, a lot of people twist this and say, well, they were keeping their own Sabbaths or their own new moons or their own holy days to other mighty ones. No. He's talking about people that actually come to appear before Him, but they've got their life in a mess and they think they can just appear in the congregation and everything will just wipe away. Everything will be okay. So it would be like, let me say this, it would be like, let's say, I'm here preaching on the Sabbath day. I appear that my life is going well. I appear okay, but I leave. And let's say all week long, I never pray. I never meditate on the law. I steal something from the grocery store. I cheat somebody out on the job. I lie to somebody to better myself. And then all of a sudden the Sabbath day rolls back around and I show up. Hey brother, how you doing? Hey sister, good to see you. Happy Sabbath. Good Sabbath. Praise Yahweh. Isn't it great? And I fool you maybe for a while. But I don't fool Him. And He says, I don't want your Sabbath. I hate it if you're going to come to me like that. I want you to come with clean hands. And in the Bible, clean hands means repentant, penitent hands. And brothers and sisters, repentance and, and, and asking for forgiveness is something that we should do every day. Forgive us of our debts. Comes right with, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> we did a concert one time in Illinois and... The guy that sang before us, I'll never forget, it probably stood out to me more than anything else. The guy that sang before us, he was solo with a guitar, and I was back behind stage before he started singing. He said, I want to have a word of prayer. And he was strumming his guitar, and he said, Father, before I sing, I want to ask you to please forgive me for my sins. Whoa! It's like, man, that was a throwback to some Rich Mullen stuff right there, right? in front of all these people, He says, I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins because before I sing, I want to be as pure as possible before you. That touched me. Yahweh, listen, Yahweh doesn't want your holy days. If you, if you don't have, if, if your life is not devoted to Yahweh, He doesn't want your new moons, He doesn't want your holy days, He doesn't want your Sabbaths. I know that that's that's hard, but it's it's Bible, it's Scripture. Now, what was it that the Israelites were doing that was so wrong? Well, look at this. It tells us in the next verses. Verses 16 and 17, Isaiah 1. He says, Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do what is good. And here it is. Seek justice, correct the oppressor, Defend the rights of the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Now there may have been more things or more sins that the Israelites were involved in, but these are the ones that Yahweh names. They were not seeking justice. People were getting away with things in the community that were atrocious. They weren't correcting the oppression of the least of these in the community. The text here mentions the fatherless and the widow. They must have been neglecting to take care of the fatherless and the widow. And what does the law say? When you mistreat the fatherless and the widow, when they cry out to Yahweh, Yahweh will hear and He will repay you according to your evil deeds for how you have mistreated the orphan 
or the widow. Oftentimes, the least among us get left out of the picture. And we think as long as we're keeping the Sabbath, or as long as we're keeping Passover, or as long as we build the sukkah at Sukkot, everything's going to be okay. Who cares about the widow? Who cares about the orphan? Who cares about justice? Who cares about my prayer life? Who cares about my reading schedule? Who cares about where I spend my time and what I spend my time doing? I don't give a flying flip as long as I just show up to the Sabbath and everybody thinks that I'm holy. That's what Yahweh is saying. And by the way, this isn't Isaiah speaking. This is Yahweh speaking through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. Is it alright if I preach for a little while here? This is what the Bible teaches. And this is what Paul is, I think, bouncing off of. You've gotten the years and the days and the months and the seasons out of kilter. You're doing them for the wrong reason. And, and, and they become a stench. And just before the service, I was meditating on the text as I sat there and I thought maybe, I don't know, this is just a thought I had, maybe that's why Paul doesn't refer to them in Galatians 4 as Sabbaths, new moons, and feasts. He just says days, months, times, and years because when you do them for the wrong reason, that's all they become. Just days and months and times and years. They don't become special anymore. Because you put the Messiah back here and you say, okay, good Messiah, you sit back here, but this is what's most important. Now don't get me wrong, when we have served Yahweh, we believe in the Messiah, and we keep the Sabbaths and the new moons and the feast days in their proper perspective. Yahweh loves that. Yahweh loved people's prayers when their hearts were right. Yahweh loved people's sacrifices when their lives were right. But when everything else was going to pot and going to hell, Yahweh said, don't come before me. Don't come before me. And try to present something like that to me. It's like dung in my nostrils. It doesn't smell sweet. It smells sour. That's what He's saying. Let us use this as a reminder today. And we observe the holy days here, and I'm thankful that we do. But let's make sure that we are never using the outward things. It's not just the holy days. It's anything on the outside that you can fool somebody with. Let's make sure that we're not using the outward things in a way that they ought not to be used. Let us make sure that we're not presenting ourselves to be spotless and without blemish. But really, we have a lot of spots and a lot of blemishes. Else, on the final day, on that great and final last day, we could hear our Master say, I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not visit me. I was hungry and you did not feed me. And we say, when did we not do these things to you? And he says, when you ever didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. I do not want to hear those words. I don't. But I kept your holy days, Lord. Listen, if we're trying to use that tape measure to crank up the truck, it's not going to work. You've got to use it for what it was designed to be used for. Let's not get things out of perspective but keep them in proper perspective. Let's not twist the Gospel or add anything to the Gospel. The Gospel is about what Yahweh has done through the Messiah. It's not about what we do for Him, but what He has done for us. If Yahweh had not been on our side, where would we be? That's the Gospel. That's, that's it. That's the good news that He preached to Abraham.
In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed by grace through faith. Works follow, but they're not a prerequisite for salvation. Keep things in their proper perspective and order. I love everybody, and I appreciate everybody. We'll continue in Galatians next week. That's my sermon for, for today.